Escape from Plan A. ungodly hour I, it's like i had a tough time um waking up at 10 and, and you're the one three hours that's it's early. just a quirk of mine i don't know i've never been able to sleep i'm always an early riser like and even if even if i go to sleep at like 6 a.m i always wake up at 8 that's amazing that's yeah i I, just, I can't sleep it's a gift, in i guess late. in a way so yeah i i don't, I don't know can't explain it oh uh, yeah um, so anyway welcome to the latest episode of escape from plan a i'm your host chris here with tina and jess what's up guys hey what's up yo and this well uh, this episode we want to talk about the time's up thing with roberta kaplan resigning that was a big news thing uh but then so much shit has happened since then it feels like a a while ago but um you know let's focus on the topic at hand so um but you know before we get started anything you guys want to just uh dish out or just uh, quickly chat about before we head into the deep dark world of, of Time's Up and, and Me Too and what it's become. I have, okay, so one bit of news that came out was like some of the results of the 2020 census are trickling in and they finally have like some data knocked down. And did you see the headline? It was like the white population actually fell, not like just percentage wise, but like in actual numbers. It was pretty yeah. drastic, yeah. right? Uh, I saw yeah. some tweet about how the Hispanic slash Latino categorization in like 10 or 20 years dropped by, I don't know, what, like 50% uh, that identifies white to, to non-white yeah, or something like that. Obviously, these, these people weren't like killed or genocided. So it's just probably just a matter of... He- yeah, there's um, some new. There, it's not going to be an easy uh, cross cross mapping to prior previous uh, census reports because there's a few there's a few things that are different about this one that don't make it an apples to apples comparison necessarily. Right. Uh, like I think this is like the uh, like people being able to identify as multiple races. That's a very new thing. Um, so I think that it's all kind of sh- it's still kind of shaking out. I don't know. I'm not. I haven't looked into like the numbers numbers part of that yet. But um, I I I wonder how much of an effect that's having. That one factor alone. Yeah. So I like linked a Washington Post article, and one of the quotes is, "Some of the changes may be due not only to actual increased diversity." Uh, but also to changes in how people self-identify. The Bureau's yeah, design, yeah, data processing, yeah. and coding procedures have made it easier for respondents to identify as more than one race. So I'm wondering if actually, like, demographically, things have not changed as much as, you know, that white people are less than 60% suggest. But like you said, it was just, it's people, you can now uh, check off other races, inclu- you know, including white. And... For, I think culturally there might be like a lot of people who want to do that, even if no, that's that's you know probably a huge driver in that, especially on on the the liberal side. You want to well, the thing is, it's not that there's no advantage to being white anymore, but the the game now is to kind of like secretly uh, get all the benefits of being white while presenting some plausible deniability, like I'm multiracial or I'm I'm like an ethnic white that never like colonized this and this. But you still want the benefits because the benefits are real. So there's all the incentive, um, especially on, on us, you know, on the liberal side, 
to to distance yeah. yourself from whiteness. Yeah, I mean, this is all self-reported data, so it has all the pitfalls of um, of a study that does that, right? So yeah, I like, mean, like the, you gotta the, wonder, like, like what <laughs> what, uh, what box did Rachel Dolezal check off last at last census? You know, um, so it's so I, I I the headlines I think are are going to be a bit misleading. I think they're intentionally race baiting. That's the exact kind of thing that really uh, that they try to drum up to uh, chase down that white nationalist white supremacist narrative. And this is the it, that's the bait that's going to be useful uh, to act to the actual white nationalists and white supremacists who are going to use this to talk about uh, you know um, white genocide and what have you. Are you saying that even liberal publications want to stir up those people to yeah. sell views? Yeah, totally. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think this is this tickles, and I mean it, this even you know the the white liberal upper upper caste that would read like Washington Post or the New York Times. This is still going to hit them in a, you know, under the skin. This is still going to, this still hits a sore spot. Well, when you report it, like for the first time since 1790, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, yep. I, you know, I tried understanding what that meant, like first time since 1790. And even the media doesn't seem to quite understand what it means. Cause like the Washington Post reported it. Cause you know, the funny thing was like, Maryland, which is my home state, came out as the most diverse state on the East Coast, which I was surprised. Really? And, yeah. And in that article, diverse Maryland, meaning like, like least, uh, least white, <laughs> that's, least that's white what, in yeah, absolute numbers, huh? Uh, no, in uh, in in um by proportion. Oh, and, proportion. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Still would have thought California would be higher than Maryland. No, on the East Coast. On the East. Coast. Oh, on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Uh, okay. I, I think California is probably less white than Maryland. Okay. Um, but. In that article, they said that the number of whites in America had dipped below 60% for the first time since 1790. And I was like, is that what that means? And then I looked around and other articles were saying, no, it just 1790 just happens to be the first census that was ever taken. And since then, the white population has increased in absolute numbers and it was the first time it ever decreased. I was like, those mm-hmm. are two very different That's things. A, that see, yeah, these headlines, they're... Uh, it's this is journalistic malpractice. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I don't know if there's an actual word coined for this, but this is this is the press intentionally misleading the public. Yeah, just to, to to capitalize on that sweet sweet white panic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That the panic is the perfect word for this, and this is across the board. This is the, the this is you know the coverage on this. This is just engineered to generate uh, uh, fear, anxiety, everything that gets those juicy clicks coming. And also, in the end, what does it matter how people identify? Because in the last election, they were like, oh, more uh, Trump got more the minority vote than any Republican president in the last like few decades. So it's like, who cares if people identify less as white? It's more like, what do they do with it? So it, it seems very cosmetic. It's all kind of legalistic. Like, what do you define yourself as? Uh, but in the end, it's like, what does that even mean in terms of real actions? Yeah, it only makes sense if you loosely map politics onto race with the assumption that being of a particular race uh, carries a certain politics with it. Yeah, that's a that's a very like 2008 Obama era theory that I think has been pretty debunked. Uh, uh, but, yeah, because yeah. Uh, I mean, loosely, I think you can make some very, very broad generalizations, right? So if you're, uh, if you are the descendant, an American descendant of slaves, right? Uh, pro- you can pr- say like you can probably you can probably 
you can say with a some amount of certainty or probabilistic, you know, uh, certainty that this person might have X politics, but that's not nowhere near 100%. But in popular discourse, we treat it like it's 100% because we talk about, we talk about the person, not the politics, but we make that assumption, right? That, that if you have like a black editor in chief of a newspaper, your coverage is going to lean left or progressive. You know, you know That's what it reminds me of. Um, whenever you watch, like especially international soccer tournaments, the and let's say like France plays Italy in some game, they'll be like, "Oh, France has never beaten Italy in a competitive international tournament since like 1968." Or, or not true, but let's just use that example and be like, "But that was like totally different team. Like a lot of those people are dead." You know, it's like, what does that have to do with anything? Unless you're making some weird, like, racial, cultural, uh, national I mean, argument. Is. Yeah, so this feels similar, right? You're trying to predict people's behavior on a very, like, non-regular event. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. things like presidential elections. It happens r- rather rarely. Same with, like, soccer tournaments. You're trying to seem wise and smart by extrapolating this thing when most people don't know what the hell we're talking about. Even the experts. Yeah, so, uh, I, I mean, uh, I... My personal interest in the census was more on socioeconomic factors, not race. I think that would is going to tell us a lot more than straight ethnic makeup of the country. Maybe this is all like a smokescreen for that. Um, it has to. It 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 must be right. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we talk, um, I, I should pull this up. I forgot to add this in, into the notes that we put down. But um, that article. That was uh, that was I think in Current Affair. It was really good. Um, I think his name was the author's name was Bertrand Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I wait, really, Bertrand Cooper? Isn't that the guy from Mad Men? So. <laughs> uh, it sounds like right. Teen, <laughs> am I? Yeah. Not, you watch Mad Men, right? Aren't I right? Yeah, it's the, Bertrand Cooper is the, yeah the old guy. Oh the, shit, the okay, weird Japanophile yeah. guy. Uh, yeah. All right, never mind. Oh uh, yeah, now I remember that. <laughs> Wait, Hold no, on. that could be the writer, uh, but that name. Wait, Bert Cooper f- was a pedophile, was he? No, he, I said he was a Japanophile. Oh, Japan, yeah, Japanophile. He, he had the weird oh, like, okay, silk well, screens totally and everything. Mean. Well, I'm gonna link this. Okay, but. No, this guy's name is Bertrand Cooper. Oh wow, um, that's funny. And is, he wrote <laughs> an amazing crazy. article in in Current Affairs. Um, it's who actually gets to create black pop culture. Um, I shared this oh. with you. Oh guys. no, okay. uh, yeah, we read that. We read that. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, amazing yeah. article. This is exactly what, and I and I think he gets into the, exa- the question that I'm posing here, right? You know, um, what effect does race have? What effect does uh, class have? And class used as a very broad, uh, both as a very broad uh, designator. Uh, loose like political like talking about political social cultural capital and actual class like money like how much money do you have um we never talk about that third one we never talk about the force of actual money in mediating the effects of uh of like social capital like like uh, your social class and your you know your racial uh your your identity as a racial per- racialized person um, I mean, and he, he did a brilliant job just going through the, basically the who's who list of black creators uh, outside music. He's specific. He specifically uh, excludes music from this uh, to talk about like, you know, screenwriters, um, directors, filmmakers, artists, writers. Um, and he basically exposes uh, the fallacy that uh, that or uh, 
I mean, it, he just basically he he basically calls out everybody in the who's who list, the blue check, uh, the millionaire crowd. They are not only influential and powerful now; they came from an influential and relatively powerful background as as children. That's their background. Yeah. Um, and that that one that one fact who your parents were still has had more of a deterministic effect on this than uh, than than race. Race was kind of the smokescreen, the calling card that these people were able to use to leverage their uh, way into uh, like the pantheon of the media class. Yeah, um, that article really warrants a whole episode because we see so yeah. many parallels with Asian Americans. So yeah, should, we, uh, yeah listeners, we gotta, be on the lookout we, we, for that. We, we, we got to get T on the line to to talk this out. Uh, I'm, I'm reading this and like, oh my god, this this is it. This is it. This right. is the analysis I was waiting for. Um, yeah, I think the I think the point of that article is you know it's reintroducing like class into the mix, but without saying that class is what matters, not race. Right? Like it's saying yes. It, it there's a way of looking at sort of classes like nested within race as well. And when I look at the headlines and you're, I think you're, you, you brought that up because you're saying, look, the story is a lot more complicated and, and, and this white people are less than 60% of the population. Hallelujah. Like, you know, for liberals, this is going to be a great time is a very flat uh, interpretation of that statistic. And I think when I think about the way liberal slash progressives or liberal progressives, however you want to describe them in America, think about race as a determinant of politics and also politics just being about whether you're a Democrat or Republican uh, is so crazily obsolete. And it would be sad, I think, for someone to think about uh, the world, like still thinking about the world or American society in that manner like are you blue or are you red mm-hmm. and i don't know if this is i think that might be a good segue into the main topic which is um not really cuomo's resignation i think a lot has been said about cuomo's resignation and uh, i think it's only interesting to various degrees uh, to a limited degree it's it's kind of like a new york insider politics kind of story which can be a little boring but attendant to this cuomo saga um is what happened over at Time's Up. And I thought Time's Up, which, you know, I think started as a legal defense fund to aid women who wanted to, uh, you know, litigate uh, their, you know, what's going on, like sexual harassment, the sexual harassment they face uh, at work, and etc. Um, turned out that that's far from what Time's Up has been doing, despite them having a very, I think, uh, prominent place and reputation within the liberal progressive world. Um, so I thought maybe we could get into that because when I read it, I just thought like, this is start, this is, I think starting to blow the lid off of some of the myths around liberal progressives. Right. And just to give a little background info, I was doing a little bit of reading on the on the history, uh, rather brief history of Time's Up, because it just started, I think, in 2018. So like Tina Chen right now is the one under fire because she's the CEO. Roberta Kaplan was like their, their like star lawyer. She already resigned. But the woman that Tina Chen replaced was a woman named Lisa Borders. And she had to resign because her son uh, was accused of 
uh, like sexually assaulting one of. I, so this was the weird thing. So he, he his job he described himself as a photographer slash like sexual healer of women. Like I cannot think of two jobs that sound more skeezy than that. And and, th- and that's this is like the the roots of the organization. Um. So yeah, that's how that's how uh, Tina Chen got into power. My face curdled when you read that. When you said that, just, <laughs> what? photographer, what sexual hell? healer. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! What? Uh, and his mom was the is the president of Times Up. That's yeah, rich. Yeah. That's and, rich. Yeah. And furthermore, in this article I was reading, it was talking about how a lot of employees had been feeling very conflicted because I I think that the average employee I think were were probably good faith people who really believed in the cause but they would keep butting heads with essentially the management because the management they said there was no real vision all they really did was oh their their friend calls like their hollywood friend or or political friend like powerful person it's like i'm getting harassed online could you come to my defense uh in this article i read in the daily beast uh gail king i think she's a host of like like abc america or, or like some kind of morning show she says she was getting harassed online, so suddenly they had to drop everything they were doing, um, and 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 go to Gail King's defense. Be like, what the hell is this about? And then Oprah dropped out of this documentary that was supposed to expose all the sexual assault victims of Russell Simmons. But then I think maybe they were friends with Russell Simmons, so they they were really against this documentary, and they pressured Oprah to drop out or something. It's it just it's just very celebrity driven. Russell Russell Simmons, the baby fat. The hip hop guy. Uh, I, the I don't know. What, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know any of his actual songs. I just know him as as the hip hop mogul. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him as a Kimora Lee Simmons's husband. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it, what, what's it, to connect it to Cuomo for a sec? Um, so Tina Chen, who I think is also was also a, a big time litigator. She's like a one of these like I think she was at Skadden or something like that. And I see. She was like a litigation partner at Skadden. She's a pretty so she's a pretty big time lawyer, and now she's sort of like this sort of behind the scenes sort of arranger. And her name came up during that Juicy Smollett incident, uh, you know, where the actor had sort of like falsely claimed that he had been a victim of um of a of a sort of like white supremacist attack in Chicago. Uh, just to and, interject, do you guys uh, remember just the immediate? Just like I, I remember, like every presidential candidate. Uh, tweeting in support of Josie Smollett when that happened. It seemed very, now in retrospect, there must have been something going on behind the scenes because yeah, all weird. of a sudden, everybody in, in concert was was tweeting in defen- defense of him. And then, and then when For the a relatively was, minor celebrity, celebrity yeah, like, too. He's not exactly I know, famous. I know Empire was very know. popular at the time, but... I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see you know, something coordinated going on in the background. I also think this was, for a, for a brief moment like the perfect um the, just the perfect incident that's true too yeah um right we have a, a a a black celebrity um right with with a little bit of you know name a little bit of visibility in the public um getting attacked by two you know uh, red hat wearing magas wielding weapons and well like i think he, he's bleach i think like bleach said? or something yeah and that's i recall correctly and i remember like uh, um him claiming that they shouted this is maga country right in chicago, um, chicago. <laughs> in chicago um which t- didn't make a whole lot of sense but like if you 
Um, like this is this is obviously a perversion of the uh, you know the believe women um, that the sentiment that's been going around for a few years that if a, if somebody comes forward with a uh, uh, an accusation uh, you have you should believe them and I think that's a, that's a good principle but he obviously you know misused that blatantly misuse that to curry online sympathy and squash any questioning right so no so people like how did two you know what were red hat dudes doing in chicago like that's and not as a part of chicago that's historically very friendly to uh to, to people who'd be such not just i mean this is not just trump supporters this is uh th- these are extreme these are extremists right and what was really eye-opening about that is once the, the truth quickly came out, um, the, the kind of like circle the wagons mentality around him, even though he did something that was actually very, very harmful to like the LGBTQ community, just like destroyed a lot of the credibility in, in future incidents. But but there are all sorts of excuses like, oh, you know, he's going through a hard time. And it's like, okay, then, then go see a therapist or go punch a, a boxing bag. You know, don't cause this national hysteria over a false incidents. And it, it just goes, it's a time and time again with Time's Up. If you're in the crowd, they'll defend you. If you're not, even if you're a woman, uh, even if you have very credible uh, allegations against somebody, uh, they'll they'll ignore you. But yeah, I mean the the involvement here was Tina Chen. I think that they they uncovered at the time it was kind of a pretty big scandal, um, at least among you know observers of this movement that she had um, sort of made the made certain calls to the prosecutor in Chicago to basically say, hey, uh, you know, can you back this off? Can you back off this a little? And since it was Tina Chen and she has this kind of pull, apparently, um, they said yes, and they dropped the charges. And oh, is people, that the story? Yeah, and people oh. were like, who is Tina Chen? You know, like how, what, what, what is, why is she involved in this, you know? Also, who are the Smollett's? Are they some kind of like famous uh, entertainment family? Like how did they have this much pull? I'm, I'm just curious. I know like a bunch of the, the Smollett's, there's like a, a, a journey smell she was in friday night lights and she's in um lovecraft country and stuff so it's like a, i don't know but kind of relevant yeah i'm not sure but yeah. i mean it just it just was interesting to me because it was like now what's going on is i think um with roberta kaplan that and i think tina chen also um that they were seen trying to discredit uh, was it Lindsay Boylan? Uh, yes, she, the accuser number one, the primary, the prime mover in the in the case against Cuomo. Is she the one whose husband's name is last name is Kim? Yeah, Lero Kim. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So man, I mean Cuomo and Kim's. My yeah. God. And the uh, the DA. Uh, I forget. I forget his first name. Also a Kim. Is yeah. he, he he was like a he was like a was he like a like a Cleary guy or something? And that Cleary Gottlieb guy and they. It, 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 makes, like, it makes sense. What's a they hired guy? him to do like an independent investigation, like the the. Um... Okay, this is a total random observation. But uh, so uh, this morning on Twitter, uh, Maureen Dowd was trending because she wrote this uh, piece uh, calling Barack Obama essentially a star fucker, and I saw Preet Bahara Barack like Antoinette. Tweet... Yeah, really? And I saw Maureen Dowd. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it was a good um, okay. article, actually. I oh, and then, yeah. yeah, I think I saw it because, Teen, you retweeted it or something. Yeah. And then Preepahara is on Why, Twitter. Why, did she not get invited to his birthday party? <laughs> I'm sure she didn't. She's no Chrissy Teigen. She doesn't have enough Instagram followers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, Preepahara is, like, tweeting uh, against Maureen Dowd. And, and I remember when Preepahara was, like, the like king of, of the Manhattan DA's office. He's the Wall Street slayer. Now he's, like, making 
like mean girl tweets on Twitter and just like Twitter just so demeaning and yeah, he, and he runs a podcast debasing. like us. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I have no idea if Prepahar is actually does that like, elevate, that great, does that elevate us or demean him? I don't know. I think it demeans him. I, it, <laughs> I think Twitter it doesn't him. raise anybody. It just brings everyone down. And this it brings true. it brings someone like Prepahar down to our level. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, totally random. Uh, yeah, random. us and all the degenerates that listen to us. <laughs> So but yeah, pre- I mean, it was similar to the Juicy Smollett thing where it was like, um, it was this, this, uh, these Time's Up people, again, who are supposed to be a legal defense fund for women, right? Who are uh, trying to litigate sexual harassment charges and things like that against our lawsuits um, that were trying to protect Andrew Cuomo uh, against, against an accuser. They were doing the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. Like, it's almost weird. Like, it's one thing for um, a, you know, a charity or nonprofit to not really allocate that much money to what they're supposed to do. And we can the, the figures for them are not good. Uh, they ra- In 2018, they raised $3.6 million. And they only spent less than a tenth of that or 312000 on... Uh, actual legal defense spending. The rest of it was salaries and, you know, uh, symposiums and things like that, right? So it's one thing to, like, take the money and then spend it on, you know, taking everyone out to a a resort for, you know, whatever. Um, That's just the sort of, like, corruption. But this is, like, I'm doing exactly the the opposite of the thing that I'm supposed to do. The... Time's Up is like literally going out and trying to destroy the reputation of a woman who is in exactly the position that they're supposed to help defend. And I was like, what 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 would make an you know a group do that? And the thing Class only war. thing that, what's that? Class war. I'm not I think ready the, to declare well, it. Yeah, I think the only thing I can think of is a protection racket meaning it's just like the mob where you are giving me money to protect you against me right that's why you would end up attacking the people you're supposed to defend and i think yeah you're right there is a class uh, or power analysis as to who gets shaken down shaken down and who gets attacked if you're andrew cuomo you get protected if you're lindsey boylan and you're kind of a nobody, uh, you get you get attacked. And I think Lindsey Boylan now is kind of using whatever platform she now has in the in the in the wake of Cuomo stepping down or resigning um, to say that she wants Tina Chen out. This is how uh, angry she is about it. And I I just think that this is a one of these things where it. Despite all this shit, I mean, despite the sort of jaw-dropping reality of Time's Up, despite being one of the most prominent, you know, institutionalizations of Me Too, uh, I don't think liberals are really going to suffer a black eye from this. I don't think they'll just kind of carry on and say, wow, we didn't know Time's Up was so poorly run. Okay, we're going to get new management in there. And they're going to double down on the exact same kind of people who got us into this mess in the first place. It's too useful. 
if you say you it's too useful to um distribute um to kind of launder guilt and it's too useful as a tool to uh to rehabilitate your own image or project a certain image about yourself or your organization uh that you want to be true so this is i mean it's kind of a church mentality yes, that's honestly. that's exactly where um, I've been so by, you I've donate been to Times Up. I heading, know lots yeah. of people who, uh, I just in the last couple of years, maybe maybe I've just noticed this. People like proudly talk about the, the organizations that they donate to, the causes that they donate to. <laughs> um, and I noticed this shifted from a cause like, oh, I donated to an org alleviating hunger in Somalia. It's not. It's not. There's specific organizations that are name dropped. So there, there's some like blue chip. There's like blue chip uh, charity organizations, basically that people like. It's like a, like it's like a moral to. stock exchange. You gotta it, buy the yeah, right it really shares. Is. So like Black Lives Matter, Times Up. Um, sure, there's a couple. You know the the canonical, the classic ones like Red Cross. Um, blah blah. All, all all of those, right? And it's like one by one, you kind of you lift the curtain a little bit, and all of those organizations are deeply, deeply corrupt, if not if not working antithetical to their stated purpose. Um, for one thing, I mean, I just see this as a, in, for the organization itself, it's actually not profitable. It's not good for them if the issue that they were established to ostensibly fight is suddenly alleviated. What happens to Time's Up if suddenly every, uh, everyone, every, every harasser, uh, rapist um, in the country just decides to behave? And there are no more accusations of sexual misconduct, right? That that three point six million dollars that they raised, uh, what last year, the year before, that dries up overnight, mm-hmm. right? They are they have to be invested in this issue being an ongoing problem, and I think that's a that's a inversion of interests that precludes much trust for my for, for my part at least. I can't see them as fundamentally trustworthy if they make money by this issue st- sticking around. And I think uh, our friend Yasmin Nair, who, uh, who who I'm very happy, I'm going to be talking to her the first time this coming week. Yay. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. Uh, she wrote an, she wrote a brilliant article about, about, uh, about that, uh, that effect in action uh, specific to like DACA, right? Uh, immigration policy. Uh, how a bunch, a network of very, uh, very corrupt nonprofits basically hijacked the issue um, and to render it, render it politically inert, but socially, uh, very, very socially, uh, I don't know what the word, like vibrant, but politically dead. Uh, so there's never any push for real reform or real, uh, real overturning of the rotten of rotten immigration policy we get minor incrementalism or appeals to emotion right this is when the dreamers are trotted out to talk about to you know cry on camera and talk about you know all the travails that they've suffered, uh, but never pointing out the pr- actual problem at the heart of all of this. And this is entirely the work of very powerful nonprofits that seek to uh, perpetuate this uh, this kind of pr- uh, forever um, subordinate state for these uh, f- for these people that are here without uh, without firm legal status. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like this, we can probably extrapolate that to any one of these organizations that we just called out. Yeah. Um, um, tying this back to that uh, current affairs article you mentioned, Jess, uh, there's this 1972 essay by Joan Didion called The Women's Movement, in which she talks about how like women as a class is, is a very um, 
idealistic, uh, easy dream. Because like you don't even have to work to organize them or or teach them an ideology. They just are, and therefore the dream is they'll all think alike. And I I think something like Times Up shows that there's so many. It, it's really difficult because there's so many different class divisions. In fact, Times Up right now this is like an intra class warfare. Like like a like a Lindsay Boylan. And Roberta Kaplan are kind of in the same class of, you know, upper elite class of political women. But you can see how their interests are are very different. And there's a in the article, one of the articles about Time's Up, I read one of the things that really uh, pissed off the the regular staffers was when. So uh, there's this doctor named Esther Chu who was put in charge of like Time's Up Healthcare because she's a prominent doctor. But then she had to resign somewhat recently because she when she was head of some hospital she had covered for some alleged sexual assaulter and i think roberta kaplan said oh we got to protect her because we got to protect the sisterhood and a lot of people are like what do you mean the sisterhood like who who aren't the women who, who accused or were the victims there aren't they our sisters but clearly what they meant by the sisterhood is our circle and and they want to con- yeah. make that seem as if it's like a whole class of like over half the population, but it's not. Yeah, it's a co- it's a narrow cohort. I think I know what she's talking about. Um, there's just a there's a very toxic pocket of feminism that emerged, uh, the that emerged around the 80s. And I think you you know Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris. You know it's it's the it's the feminism espoused by that generation of women, which is essentially. Um, you know, um, it's 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 very openly a, a power grab. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's honesty in that. Uh, there's there's legitimacy in that, too. You know, why not? If it's out there, what it, it absolutely should be a matter of principle, the principle of according to the principle of fairness, uh, women should also have uh, should have access to that power, too. Sure. Um, that's where that ends. Um I think it justifies a lot of venality, a lot of unethical behavior. Um, that it's, and I think right now what we're seeing is that the contradictions are just getting too hard to bridge, to paper over. Propaganda isn't really working anymore. There's no real way to spin this. The girl boss era, the younger version, the younger iteration, the millennial friendly iteration of that, uh, uh, that power suit eighties feminism, that's dead. That died faster. In fact, mm-hmm. um, it's getting harder and harder to justify what uh, what this group of people is doing has any shred of moral viability to it. Um, so when they, when they start talking about the sisterhood, I think what she's talking about is the co- her peer group, other women who navigated very hostile, violent, dangerous, uh, and unethical workplaces in their in their younger years, and now you know standing probably mid to later career, about to make their their peak career moves. That's the group that that uh, that that they are that they are in and that they are invested in protecting. The rest of us, the the women that came under un, under them, uh, we're chum, honestly. Um, I've had I've had experience with, and I and I and I think I'm very veering kind of close to just calling out that entire cohort, and that's absolutely not what I'm doing. I I I don't want to sound like I'm talking speaking ill of other women, um, but I think you know we're talking is I think the fact that you know all three of us are Asian Americans. This is we have a primary 
primarily Asian American audience. Uh, I think that experience can shed some light on uh, on this too, not specific to just women here. Um, I don't know how much of a ramble that was. At any rate, I think that's the. I don't think there's much. I don't see much of a contradiction because when they say sisterhood, I don't even see them as hypocritical. They are. They don't mean like I'm not. Ex- that doesn't cover Lindsay Boylan or like me mm-hmm. in that cohort. So I don't really see a contradiction there. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking, I mean, it's not like I, be- I feel bad for a Kamala Harris, but I'm, I'm sure she feels very wronged in the sense that she's all her life. She spent uh, doing this thing that she thought she was supposed to do. And then she accomplishes it and only to find that the ground is completely shifted. The rules have changed a bit. And and she's not the hero that she was told she would be when she was probably like twenty or something yeah. and trying to do her thing. And and to her, that's probably a form of misogyny, being like, "Hey, I didn't know what the future was going to be. I could only do what I was, the what the landscape was at the time. And now I'm being called, especially by younger women. That that probably pisses them off the most when younger yeah, women I, say. I, I have say some stuff. sympathy for that. Like, there's no doubt. Like, like Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris. You know, super super bright women, super motivated, worked really hard. Um, and I mean, I was thinking about this in 2016, right? Just just let's just compare the resumes of the candidates that were on the table. Like Hillary Clinton at that time probably had the most spectacular resume in America at, yeah. by that point. We, you know we always I mean? heard about it, yeah. Yeah, um, like first ladies, uh, senator, secretary of state. I mean, come on, like <laughs> the most glittering of resume in America. And she she lost to she lost to Trump. Yeah. You know, so there is a part of uh, there is I, there is frustration, and I, I sympathize with that. That uh, she definitely internalized the rules, accepted the world as it was when she was uh, starting out, and then played the game. She just went heads down and played the damn game. Um, wanna, and then the table, the rules has changed. I want to talk about when you said that this had aspects of like the church, because I mm. the more I pay attention to what's going on in liberal progressive land, uh, the more I see this. And I guess one of the things I, the the way I think of it generally is like, you need a base of like faith somewhere. You need a sort of axiomatic set of beliefs among a lot of people that can't be questioned. They're just absolute. And anyone who crosses that belief is automatically sort of cast out. And I think that, um, you need people to have that feeling in order for these institutions to, like the church to gain a certain kind of gatekeeping power, which is what Time's Up was doing. It was saying, you know, we are the sort of official arbiter of who is good and who is bad in this belief system. And if we think that Lindsay Boylan's full of shit because she's attacking the wrong person, then we are going to make sure that, you know, her claims are not taken seriously because we are the gatekeeper of that. Uh, that's on the institutional side, but on the side of people that believers and the culture, the sort of religious culture that's growing up, that's kind of arising out of this. I think Anthony Bourdain and some of the circumstances around his death and his sort of like uh, almost like um, his religious devotion almost to the Me Too movement. Yeah, the, the zealousness uh, of a recent convert kind of thing. The zealousness of it. Yeah, there was um, an article um, in The Week 
um, about uh, <laughs> sort of talking about um, the, the 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 sort of in the, in that doc how they implied that Bourdain maybe was a little bit crazy when it came to his devotion to Me Too. Um, the same way that I think like a devout Christian writer might defend you know faith wrote that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with Bourdain's uh involvement in Me Too and the the one thing that really was that really kind of gave it away it said they they wrote it's baffling to try to find fault in Bourdain's advocacy for Me Too when he became one of the highest profile role models for the kind of unmitigated belief and allyship that victims were seeking more men should have done like Bourdain and reflected on their friendships and their internalized toxic masculinity. His public self-examination remains one of his greatest legacies. So they actually recommend that more men be like Bourdain and exhibit what they call unmitigated belief in, in something, you know, and he ends up dead. And they recommend more men being like him. And that sounds very crazy, doesn't it? I mean, also, Bourdain's a particularly poor example because so much of that, at least according to Roadrunner, the documentary, uh, you know, who knows if it's like 100% true. Almost all of it was was predicated on his really unhealthy relationship with Aja Argento, who turns out to have kind of been a hypocrite. So it's not like... if Yeah, if, she, she, assault, she raped a 17-year-old or... Right. right, and and I don't know if he was being very opportunistic. Uh, maybe it was consensual. Like technically, it was illegal. Whatever. I mean, like I, I, guess, I don't want to get into uh, the details. Rape in the very legal sense because he's under the age of consent. Yeah, it wasn't like some eleven-year-old boy. It was like a seventeen-year-old. Uh, but regardless of all that, it was a very unhealthy reason to get into the whole Me Too thing. And and the reviewer, uh, the one, uh, the one you were talking about, Tina, is saying it really doesn't matter what the the root of it is or what the outcome is or whatever it, it's just you got to have faith in this unshakable tenet of believe women but uh don't believe lindsey boylan um or or whenever it's inconvenient don't don't uh believe tara reed uh etc and literally you should stake your life on this the base principle i it's not uh I, the base principle is one thing right a, a firm a, unshakable belief that uh that women should not be assaulted um and that you should keep your hands to yourself around your female co-workers or or employees or or whatever that's that's one thing right believing that women are fully equal to men or have an equal stake in society and should be should should uh, participate in it without hindrance that's that's one thing it's when that issue it stops being that and it becomes let's let's talk about it's when money gets involved, I think. Because then it's no longer about that principle. Yeah. With uh, Time's Up, another conflict of interest came out when... So Tina Chen, I think, was a consultant to Uber before she came to Time's Up, one of her many Jesus Christ. Oh. And then when all the stuff started coming out was of Uber... Was she like lead counsel for Uber or something? Is that... Um, I'm not sure, but she she was she w- was affiliated with Uber somehow okay. professionally. And then when she came over to Times Up, something uh, you know, one of many bad stories that, that should come have out been a Uber. disqualifier. <laughs> I'm going to guess that she was brought in by Uber to clean up the mess. Possibly, um, but yeah. anyway, another mess happened when she left. And then uh, Times Up that the staffers were told uh, don't tweet about Uber. And the only thing they tweeted was we we commend Uber's transparency uh, as like an official statement. That's why you pay her. 
Yeah. Right? You're not actually trying to fix the problem. You just need someone with the right connections to come and bless you publicly. Right? That's a very church-like function. <laughs> you know? And... Yeah, I mean, these donations, I I, I did think this before. Uh, Satine, I mean, I, I hope we keep tugging at this thread because I think there's something real there. Uh, I mean, look at, look at the role that these organizations have played in our society. Um, so you as a dutiful citizen with the proper beliefs and a little bit of capital lying around, you're supposed to give some of that to these organizations uh, as a token of your, you know, as a token of your belief and your commitment to the cause. Um, they don't really promise anything back, really. It's, it's, you don't get any material benefit back. Uh, what you do get is a little badge of honor. You get to talk about, you get to say that you donated to them or that you support this and that cause that they're supposedly fighting. Um, you're now in the in-group. You have a, you get a little bit of protection, uh, not from anything real, just from everything from people outside the zone of protection. So like, I don't know, the, the magas or whatever. Right, who are just eager to jump on you if uh, you don't have the protection of being part of the the I, clan I mean, I, that donates to I completely to agree up. with your bringing class into it. I don't think it's just about money. I do think that there is something, there is a political dimension to this, meaning that you know th this is about a certain set of people yes. that I think are have installed themselves as the ruling class within uh, the Democratic Party that they have roots going back to Clinton, um, that the people in power now are all part of this complex, like Biden is was Obama's vice president, that we see uh, when Obama, you know, through his party, like who's in, who's out. Like there is a, there is a, um, a specific set of names that, you know, this isn't just like an abstract class. This is also a specific uh, regime of people that are trying to hold on to power. And what really bothers me about this, is, and, I, and I think the way they hold on to power now is through the inculcation of a certain kind of culture that has elements of religion to it. And they've installed themselves as the leader of this religious sect. And what really bothers me about it uh, is the way it co-ops the language of social justice, either racial, about race, or gender, or sexual orientation, or even stuff like human rights and all this stuff. And they just set the standard to say, we're the ones who are able to interpret scripture. Like, we're the ones who say what's right, what's wrong, who's right, who's wrong. And you're just going to fucking listen to it. And that's that. They, they, they've completely... Uh, flipped what is in it like something that should be a rational discourse about justice and they've turned it into this meta religion where they're the church is always right yeah keeping with the religion thing it would explain why these sex panics are so effective uh, I, I, i'm not saying like what Cuomo did is a sex panic but the fact that a lot of people have observed that hey nobody cares about all the elderly that died uh, because of his actions yeah. what people care about is who did he touch where did he touch them and I, I think of like the 90s when it was the democrats who were always making fun of and criticizing the the republicans were being obsessed with that same thing like 
who was sticking this into where and things like that. But now it's totally reversed. Like the Republicans are the ones who are probably going to have a very laissez-faire attitude. Like, oh, you know, keep people's, uh, at least when it comes to heterosexual matters, keep that in the, in the privacy of your own domain and, and settle no, I mean, it. But- what's, I mean, no, I think it's opportunism. Like Fox News is all over this Cuomo scandal. They're all up on the Me Too now. So I think this is just opportunism and uh, and just t- using an excuse, hijacking the language on on uh, on the other side to push a point. It's cool. Well, and it's, a, it's also governor. who your political base is because, for you know, what the interesting thing is that DeSantis, as shitty as he is, I mean, he's shit when it comes to COVID, was better than Cuomo when it came to the specific question of nursing homes. He specific at the time, same time as Cuomo, he uh, whereas Cuomo said, yeah, take all of the overflow patients with COVID and send them right back into the nursing homes so they can spread it there and kill everyone. Uh, DeSantis said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going (laughs) to, we're not going to allow them to go back. So on the same exact issue of where to re, where to rehome COVID, you know, COVID convalescence, uh, Cuomo said, stuff them back in the nursing homes. And DeSantis said, don't, it's going to, it's going to kill a lot of people. Why? I think part of it is that, Republicans care about old people more because old people yeah. vote and that's they vote Republican. Well, that's their base now. I mean, that's increasingly their base. so. Yeah. Whereas with, base the, with Democrats, they don't give a fuck because old people don't really form a big part of the of the Democratic base. They're not part of the culture, the youth-driven, glamour-driven culture of the liberal elites within the Democratic Party. Fuck those nursing home people. They don't give a shit. But they do care if a young, attractive woman says that, Cuomo groped her and they do care about taking Cuomo down because I think Cuomo is not part of that inside group. He's not connected to the Biden Obama Clinton complex. And in fact, he was seen as an outside challenger and maybe a rival and they wanted to get rid of him. That was my opinion. I think that's why we saw the end of Cuomo was because he posed kind of a threat to, uh, to Biden and to whoever they wanted, they want to succeed Biden. That's totally believable. I mean, we don't need to go further than Tara Reid. Poor Tara Reid. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Jess, I do want to address the the opportunism thing. I do agree. Like, uh, the Republicans are definitely jumping on this. But also, I, do, they, I don't think they would do it to one of their own. The same way I, I don't think the Democrats would have gone after uh, a, like a Republican Clinton. Because I think their philosophy, genuine philosophy, was it, it's, it's prudish uh, and, and backwards to, to investigate too much into people's sex lives. Uh, whereas the progress in the 90s was the exact opposite. No, what you do in the bedroom really matters. It defines your moral character. I do think it's gen- it, people genuinely uh, believe the opposite now on a, on the parties where the Republicans are like, like you know, heterosexual people are, are persecuted, so you know, let them do what they want. Where the Democrats are, we need we need to actually uh, we need to police uh, heterosexual actions more. Mm, maybe we can talk about that. Uh, I mean, we we I, I remember we were talking about that internally, uh, specific to like the ninety nine the nineteen ninety nine movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Eliza made a great point that you know when say Fight Club came out, um, the reviewers were split along partisan lines, but it was like red leaning Republican leaning uh, critics who were criticizing who were criticizing the movie then mm-hmm. uh, for being you know basically toxic masculinity without the, without that term right. um 
And if you compare that to, I don't know, let's say 2019's Joker, right? Um, Similar, loosely similar themes at heart. Um, And you see like it's, it's Democrat leaning people who are jumping on that again, talking about it in terms of uh, promoting, uh, promoting, glamorizing and glorifying toxic masculinity. So I think there's, so let's table that one. I think I think it's a much more, that's a much deeper topic than we probably have time to get into right now, but just putting a pin in it. Uh, but yeah, I, I it is hear an interesting, what you're saying. Yeah, it's an interesting potential inversion and why that happened. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm really upset that the nursing home deaths were not a bigger factor in uh, his eventual takedown. That just, I think that that really shows where the priorities are here. Yeah. I wonder how like a Ron Kim feels because he was the one who started the. I mean, he he kind of brought down the the House of Cards that was the Cuomo administration by going after him on the nursing home stuff. And mm-hmm. in a way, uh, he got his goal accomplished. Uh, Cuomo's out, but it wasn't really for the reasons that he started it. I'm sure he would take that victory. But uh, yeah, I do wonder how he feels. Maybe we should. You know, an interesting up. thing is, uh, you know, no, like nobody in New York knows who the hell the governor is right now. Her name is... Yeah, the lieutenant this, governor, right? Yeah, um, nobody knows who she is. Uh, Ho- what's her last name? Like, Ho- starts with an H, I think. Hochul or something. Hochul. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, everyone great. was you like... Two New Yorkers and neither of you knows. Nobody has hey, I, I knew the first letter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, you know what's funny is like in, in New York, it's it's as if like we, we keep getting shocked by prominent politicians being pervs. And every time it happens, we're like, what? And it's it's like we're like the most gullible people ever. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's like it's we're watching the same magic trick where the magician keeps pulling the same card, you know, and we're yeah. every time he pulls it, we're like, whoa, you know, yeah, it's and, like a baby without object permanence. Yeah. You play peekaboo and the baby's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Every ta- time. You you figure after like Spitzer and Schneiderman and 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 Wiener. Yeah, we would get used to this but we're still like what you know um there's still such a reverence for power uh i um and liberals yeah and liberal there's men there's a glamour to power that if you just say the right words that you've invoked some you've invoked the the, the magic or something all of um, these men were very like overtly friendly towards feminist causes mm-hmm. eric schneiderman famously passed an anti-strangulation bill that co- as made he was that um, choking the shit out of his girlfriend. As he was choking the shit out of his girlfriend. Uh, and Teen, what, what's Schneiderman up to these days? He is a meditation teacher. It's, Jesus. it's, so, it's so perfect. <laughs> he's got the uh, Indian woman fetish. It's perfect. It's perfect uh, uh, praise grounds for he's him. He's a guru now. <laughs> and oh, like, are you kidding? No. Yeah. Come on, leave something for fiction writers. Jesus. <laughs> what, what was that horrible Mike Myers movie where he plays uh, some kind of Indian the guru? guru? Oh, is what they called the guru? Okay. The guru. Yeah, yeah. It just it was terrible. And uh, you know, Cuomo. I remember. I recall him during when B two first kind of broke out. I remember him giving a speech, you know, over by the Mario Cuomo Bridge construction site, where he was like, "There is a problem with the culture in America around women," and he was, you know, he was a very that kind of governor. He was a, he was posing as. Uh, a liberal progressive man who really uh, was worried about the patriarchy and the patriarchal culture of America. And he's like, we're due for a reckoning. And that's who he was. And, 
you know, uh, I think that without the support of institutionalized wokeness, um, behaving like a church, which has elements of of criminal of, of organized crime to it, uh, where they are protecting you against themselves and saying that you know we're the prosecutors, so we can protect you because we decide who to bring charges against, right? And it, it's just as someone, you know, it's just making it very hard to believe in the project of progressive politics in America because it's like a straitjacket. And I think part of the problem, like you said, Chris, you know, it's a total inversion from the Clinton era where Clinton was this sort of like live free and don't tread on me. And the Republicans were this sort of evangelical, uh, moralistic, you know, party imposing you know, very, very, very stringent sexual mores on, on people. Well, the difference was, you know, back then, I think Clinton was the defiant uh, rebel. He was the one that was challenging the existing uh, power structure, the Reagan Bush power structure. And now uh, it's the Clinton Obama uh, complex. And, and I know that's not exactly one unified thing, but they sort of share power within the Democratic Party. And anyone who poses a challenge to them, even if it's Cuomo and it's within the same party, uh, I think it's the party in power that suddenly becomes moralistic and, and extremely conservative in a certain sense and uses the you know um, moralist accusations and branding people as, you know, as basically demonic uh, in order to protect their power. Uh, and I think that's yeah, what's I going on is that liberal pro- people forget liberal progressives are the dominant power in America. Yes. That's, that's what we have to understand. This is not, um, uh, uh, this is not, at least culturally, David. right? Yeah. No, this is in not all David versus Goliath. No, 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 this is, this is in all dimensions. Democrats, uh, Democrats are richer, uh, people who identify as Democrats as a block are way richer than people who identify as Republicans. Oh yeah, I, I was I was thinking more specifically about like control of like say state governments and and various uh, government branch. I, I think that's the only thing that conservatives have, which is why they abuse it so much, right? With all the and, and yeah, and I don't, I don't even mean necessarily stuff. control of the government, but also control of the prevailing culture. Uh, yeah, the, prevailing the social apparatus. Yeah. That reinforces itself. So I, I think, Teen, you're absolutely correct in calling this conservatism because that's what's going on. Ama- you, you amass this much power, this much literal capital. Um, your instinct is going to be how to preserve that. And part of that preservation is making sure not too many people, it's not divided amongst too many people. You have to draw very clear lines and a very clear hierarchy has emerged. If you want a piece of it, you are you basically have to punch down carefully uh, and suck up to people above you so you can get a piece of that a piece of that pie. I think the difference, though, is that the actual conservatives or the Republicans, um, you know, they they sort of appeal to this revanchist uh, notion of a sort of white Christian majority in America. And so they have an inherently obvious conservative uh, appearance. Whereas the Democrats uh, are not um, appealing to that white Christianity. Um, and so they perpetually appear to be um, sort of fighting an uphill battle against it. 
they perpetually are able to portray themselves as sort of the underdog in the fight. You know, yeah, uh, the for wheels what's are right. coming off though. Uh, did, did you guys read the uh, the Atlantic uh, piece? It's a very long piece um, by uh, Matthew Sh- Stewart. The nine point nine percent is the new American aristocracy. That's a rather old article, right? Uh, I think it, I think it so. Didn't it just come out. Uh, I'm not sure, um, but I, it was re-promoted. Um, oh yeah, June 2018. Yeah, so it's not, it, but it just happened to pop into my feed, and I read it. Um, I think, uh, and I think that that captures it pretty well. Um, it's a long form article. The two the two pieces that I that I've mentioned here, the current affairs one by Bertrand Cooper, and uh, this one, the 9.9 percent. I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes because I think it's it's they're pretty important uh, pieces. But it's basically talking about you know. We we and I we've mentioned this too, right? There's hyper focus on the one percent, or to be uh, more accurate, the point one percent, right? J- the George Soros's, Mark Zuckerberg's, Bill Gates's of the of the country. But he's making a case that there's actually like the ten percent below them, the nine point nine percent, basically comprise the American upper class now. The myth of the middle class is the kind of the the, the fading smokescreen um, that we're using to kind of you know sleep well at night. But basically, we have a new aristocracy, and it's uh it's it and the nine point nine percent are basically acting as buffers for that top point one percent. And um, so uh, there's a quote here that I want to pull in um, that I think is pretty um, pretty pretty good to describe. Uh, so. Basically, summing up the situation we have right now is um, the ethos of this nine point nine percent is our new multiracial, gender neutral meritocracy has figured out a way to make itself hereditary. Um, so there's an obvious contradiction there. How can how, how can mo- so the majority of people in this nine point nine percent actually identify as liberal in this case? Whether that translates to votes or Democrats, I'm not I'm not sure, but they. Can, conceive of themselves as having liberal values, right? Committed to, a you know, anti-racism, uh, gender, gender equality slash neutrality, um, and a commitment to, you know, nominally progressive causes, right? Climate change, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so all these social issues. But we, but when we look at the actual money and who gets to benefit from this, uh, this is now a hereditary system. Like social mobility at the lowest it's, it's ever been, really. So uh, where you are in life has never been more like who your parents are has never been more um, predictive of where you're going to be in life. Yeah. You know, what's funny was I saw this tweet the other the other day on Twitter, uh, of course, on Twitter, uh, talking about not on Twitter. No, I'm always (laughs) on Twitter. I'm on it. Yeah. Uh, No. So someone had tweeted something about like a funny tweet about how if you look at the main school, the main madrasa that like feeds the elite um, leadership levels of the Taliban, because everyone's like calling the Taliban like a bunch of Stone Age demons. This guy, and it was kind of an ironic tweet, but he was just saying, well, if you look at the admission rate to get into that madrasa, um, the acceptance rate is actually lower than Harvard. There yeah, were really. 15,000 applications to attend this madrasa, and they only had 400 slots. And someone in that thread said, okay, ha ha, but... You know, I and and so they were suggesting that the average IQ of the Taliban is higher than that of Harvard. And uh, <laughs> someone said, "Well, you know, I don't think that the admission criteria into this madrasa is based on IQ. 
which probably true. But then someone responded rightfully saying, well, I don't think Harvard's is either. Harvard's is all about just being, you know, legacy and, you know, being a David. Yeah, Hogg I got this or, right you know, here. Whatever. I got this right here. Uh, I have that article right in front of me right now. It says, in 1985, 54% of students at the 250 most selective colleges came from families in the bottom three quartiles of the income distribution. In 2017, uh, 38 elite colleges, among them five of the Ivies, including Harvard, had more students from the top 1% than from the bottom 60%. If we wow, want to talk about stark. this as... That's as stark. IQ, are we are we literally at the point where we're trying to say that the top one percent is truly the the uber menches of society? They, you know, that's they have the a right thing. They rule. will claim that's the fucked up part about yeah these people is they will claim that this and, is a meritocracy. Yeah, uh, yeah, they will claim that. Yeah, not only are they smarter, they're also morally superior. And yes, watch the new Gossip Girl. I swear, it's a fascinating show just because it, it shows you how the uh, worship of the rich has actually worsened ever since the, the original. Chris, I don't have the the, the appetite for torture <laughs> and pain. I don't have the yeah. I'm not I'm not a masochist like you. Do you understand? I can't do this. I know it's a problem. I know it's a problem for me. But <laughs> I can't hey, watch actually, the new Gossip Girl. Okay, so that, uh, Trevor and I will do it for you. We'll take that sacrifice. But <laughs> hey, okay, I, Chris, I just need to know how do you do it? Like, do you like? I I I'll I'll pull up HBO and then like I'll I'll like my finger will hover above the tile, right? And like I'm like I want to click it. I really don't. So I'm gonna and then I scroll past it. How do you make that commitment to click it? And what do you do while you're watching it? Are you just like sl- are you just like drinking whiskey out the <laughs> bottle and like throwing glass at the wall while you're doing this? Like there's no way you're just like sitting there quietly watching. No, no. It. Chris is if we're if we're a legal team, Chris is the cross examiner. And so he loves listening to the other side go on because he's taking notes and he's getting ready to cross-examine. See, okay. this is the thing. I, I think I have great lawyers because I just don't use them in my actual yeah. job. Um, <laughs> hopefully my employer doesn't hear that. But so, I was going to say like, – So you're like with, typing up hey, like if you were using it, it would probably be for it? some bullshit organization like Time's Up. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing the world a favor enforcer. by using it for plan A and not Taking for, the skills and locking yes. it away. I think so. But uh, anyway, about the madrasa thing, I mean, I'm assuming the way you get in is to be the most um, faithful and, and zealous yeah. of whatever. And, and the thing is, with har- with the Ivy Leagues, like, let's say they get rid same of the thing. SATs, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be whoever yeah. writes the mm-hmm. best essay, has the best recommendations on whatever their prevailing ideology is, with, I'm sure, a few token, like, dissenters here and there. But it's really creepily going to be the same thing. I think well, so. do you remember that kid? I think it was uh, last year or something. He was all over the news. He got into like every university that he applied to because his acceptance, I mean, his uh, his essay. Oh, Ziad the Activist. Yeah, I think so. The, the guy, yeah, the guy who just wrote <laughs> Black Lives Matter over and over again. Oh, um, Ziad, what's entirety- happened to that? I, I don't. It, what happened to that dude? Yeah. I mean, they were all over it, right? Like how Stanford and Harvard accepted him. He's like the voice of a generation. Like, I'm sorry, excuse me. So that's that's just like doing an incantation, basically. Yeah, I, I know that 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 that's this is not how the Pashtun you know work or whatever, but you know it would be in our mind the equivalent of just writing you know uh, Allah is great over and over again, <laughs> like yeah. you know. Uh, because I think part, some part state, of this, some statement of faith, uh, some yeah, commitment I mean, to a principle that uh, that the 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 gatekeepers in charge approve of. 
Yeah, a big part of this, I think, is the sanctification of what they call black bodies, and in particular, you know, black, black death. Yeah, black, black suffering. transphobic, uh, or trans transgender, uh, like all the different axes that can get you as far away from white cishet man as possible. They take that image, and I think that they use it similarly to the way the church uses the image of Christ or the image of a saint, um, which is to say that this is the image of suffering. This is the image of the people who truly suffer for our sins as a white, white supremacist patriarchy. And, but we own the rights to this image. Right? Yeah. Yeah, George, George Floyd isn't, isn't just St. Sebastian, you know, like, you know, the, or whoever yeah. the guy was, the guy shot when, up with when, the arrows. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. Pelosi was basically thanked him for making a sacrifice, which is basically the equivalent of saying, thank you for making a donation to the democratic party oh, <laughs> with your God. life. Yeah. And, yeah. I, yeah. and I think you yeah. right to wonder yeah. if that was a very strange fucking thing to say. And she just said it and got, got claps for it. Um, I mean, th- this is a point that, Bertrand Cooper was making in his piece too that a lot of these uh that a lot of these um blue chip creatives black um notable creatives uh despite coming from uh very from relatively privileged backgrounds um like he actually breaks down like how some of them went to very expensive private schools lived in gated communities but they but when they make their names as, as creatives as black creatives proud black creatives they tend to draw from the material of the lower classes the working the working or the poor classes um in the black community so exploiting those stories and that uh exploiting the 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 racism that that um liberal race exploiting liberal racism that wants to think of black people as inherently poor and suffering uh to make their name so this is a different version of that same that same uh that that thing you're talking about team well i think they're working i think i think it's a different version but they're also in cahoots with each other Yes. So, right. I mean, so. And, and, and then to, to cross reference that with, uh, you know, the 9.9% is the new aristocracy, this firmly puts those creatives, despite being black, in this aristocratic class. Yeah, of course. Um, and, in, and, and that shouldn't and be And race does not absolve them. Especially does, in the Race does not exempt world. or absolve them. No. Oh, well, this is, I mean, that should be clear uh, after, after Obama, right? Yeah. That there is, for certain, something called the black uh you know the black aristocracy or the or you know the um, what is it what did trevor P- come up with it the the talented 10th t- no the the talentless 10th oh talentless 10th okay yeah. i mean anyway I, guys i, I gotta the, um oh. i it's, i kind of gonna have a hard stop at uh now i gotta get i gotta get running but uh um, yeah yeah of course yeah you know, uh i don't know if you guys want to keep going or um, no, I, I I got a I got a soccer game to watch. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, let's just let's. Uh, but let's we, just I mean, there's of... more to this. I want to continue this. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, I think we opened something up. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. let's just let's let's stop it there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, keep keep them leaving wanting more. Basic yeah, that, was good. that was good. Yeah. Good. All good. right. Good chatting good with you guys. Yeah. All right. All right. Catch you later. Uh, catch Bye. you next time, everyone. Bye. All right. Bye.